on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you things we're hoping to see the rest of the season from OU's offense and defense. Then five-star quarterback Jackson Arnold joins us to talk about his commitment to Oklahoma. We recap the best games of week eight of college football and finish up giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostey, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, October 24th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of October, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Sunday afternoon, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Speaking of five-star, Ted, old Jackson Arnold, how about that? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we um, we got him at a good time. Uh, we did the interview right before he played the Allen game, and he was speaking as if the game was already over and they had won it, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah but do you have a goodbye weekend man recharge the batteries a little bit relax recharge the batteries uh played some pickleball at my parents house i'm good to go man good to go pickleball is i we can't get on a pickleball rant right here or else this podcast will be really really long but pickleball is gaining incredible steam in this country incredible now, here's what's interesting about just quickly on this subject. You got to understand my parents. I they live in the country. They are like they don't spend money on anything. I, it it's we're out there. We're in the sticks, all right? So, it's unique to see my parents have a uh, a pickleball court, a dedicated pickleball court. That's all it is poured, freshly poured concrete, everything. And the clientele that's playing pick pickleball out there is not what you would typically imagine. Uh, it's not the suburbanites. It's there's a lot of cowboy boots that have, uh, have laid some tread on the pickleball court out there. It's pretty funny. I loved, I, I'm convinced that 
it's so popular because you, anybody can be pretty decent at it, man. Low I impact. I mean, it is it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fun. People like feeling like they're not terrible at stuff. One of the greatest things is to be able to play some type of sport while drinking adult beverages. Right. And that it, it checks the box right there. It gets fairly intense, but not so intense that you can't have an ice cold beverage. Completely agree. We'll, we'll dedicate a full podcast to pickleball. Maybe we'll get <laughs> one of those professional pickleballers on during That's the off a June or July uh, podcast. I think. Yeah. All right. Now. So for this podcast, you kind of looking at the rest of the season, right? Five more games here in the regular season for Oklahoma football. And we basically have put together, I mean, for lack of a better term, our wish list of what we hope to see offensively and what we hope to see defensively for this football team. Now, clearly, we want them to win every game, right? Yeah, we want them to go 5-0, and finish the season strong. So let's just, uh, duh, right? That's what everyone that, that has rooting interest when it comes to OU football wants. But, Ted, want to start on the defensive side? Sure. We can start on the defensive side. All right. What, and these are things that we are hoping to see in these last five weeks for the Sooners defense. What do you got? I'm going to start off with communication. Um, I know it's like just a a really basic principle, but, you know, I saw some good signs in the Kansas game of, of guys having their antennas up as much as we saw from Kansas with the unique formations and, the motions and the shifts, all the stuff they do pre-snap, even though we haven't had, um, you know, our our full run of, of starters out there, you know, it's been a little bit of a mix and match, especially on the back end with Bowman out, starting to see some guys, instead of just being tunnel visioned on what it is that they're doing, like just trying to make sure that they understand their job, I see guys anticipating a little bit, communicating a little bit more and that's going to be the key going forward like our biggest flaw defensively this year has been communication breakdown I'm 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 gonna say it's been guys that don't know the call and they're playing the wrong thing and we give up just free touchdowns down the field I'm gonna call that communication whether it's not seeing the signal coming from the sideline whether it's not uh, you know, talking about an adjustment that you're supposed to make with a teammate as far as a, a coverage with a motion or an alignment. To me, that's been the Achilles heel is the free plays. And maybe it's too simple, but I break most of that back to communication. It, I, I think that's the best way of putting it. The way that I kind of look at it is, you know, there's the old saying, alignment, assignment, snap count for offense, yep. right? Yep defensively I feel like Oklahoma has struggled with the alignment and assignment part of things. Yep. Right. And the, the only way you have a chance to play good defense, I mean, it all starts with getting lined up right and everyone knowing what you're in. And unfortunately that has been an issue way too often for this defense so far this season. I mean, if you were to just eliminate blown assignments based off of someone thinking that the call is something different or that they're playing a different role 
in the coverage. I mean, we're talking the majority of the long touchdowns, the 50, 60, 70 yard touchdowns that we've given up, you could trace right back to that. So yeah, I, I, I think it's it's absolutely critical. Next, number two, we gotta get pressure on the quarterback. Everything else comes back to pressure on the quarterback. We saw it. It was fantastic to start off the year. And it's just gradually kind of dissipated a little bit. And I understand, like, Stripling out was out for a little bit. Or Mason Thomas was out for a little bit. Um, and we, we even saw Ethan Downs miss some time. Uh, Reggie Grimes has missed some time. So it's it's been a rotation up there. I understand that. But guess what? Nobody cares. You still have to get to the quarterback, right? You still have to find a way to pressure up the quarterback, whether it's a three-man rush, four-man rush, or we're adding guys to the blitz. If we're blitzing, running or uh, linebackers, uh, safeties, you got to beat a back. You got to time it up good, number one. Don't be late. And then you got to beat somebody. You don't just run up there to get blocked. So um, I think getting pressure on the quarterback is probably – number two on the wish list. I I had R. Mason Thomas as one of mine. Like, just give me more. Do people call him RMT? Is that a thing? No. It would it make should sense. Be. You got to shorten it somehow. Yeah. R RMT. Well, let's just go with it. But, I mean, we got to see him last time OU was out there on the field against Kansas and – the guy just is about as twitchy as any guy they've got defensively, especially. I, I think he's already their best pass rusher. And I yeah. wish it wasn't the case, right? Because the guy's a true freshman. But he looks like he's the best pass rusher they've got. And I want to see more of him, right? Because like you mentioned, getting to the quarterback has been a very, I mean, it's been a very big issue for this defense. I mean, quarterbacks have been, entirely too comfortable and maybe which was number one on list my list maybe it all stems from them being unable to stop the run yeah which that's my number one thing ted moving forward they have to stop the run right now they are one of the worst rushing defenses in college football it's just it's just where it's at right now so there's there's really not much they can't I think they're like 121st in the country. So you really can't go much worse than that. There's a lot of there's a lot of way to go up though, right? Yeah. I mean, no, so no it can get better. Yeah, yeah. And I think you were talking about this stat the other day. We are right around a hundred yards a game worse than the number one team in the Big Twelve, Iowa State. And like, what is it from from Ninth place, we're like 40 yards back, something like that. No, it was – we were – and this was before the Kansas game. So I'd have to go back and, you know, look at the stats now. But before the Kansas game, OU was 100 yards worse than ninth. They were oh, wow. 200 yards worse well, that than may Iowa have been State. A, I bet that was – that may have been conference only. In conference game. play only, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the overall, which it was, it's still still not good, but – no, I'm with you. Um, my next thing on the wish list, we need more explosive plays. So the way I really, really put it was score or set up a score twice 
in every game that we have remaining on the schedule. Now, set up a score is like I would consider that, and some teams consider it different, like a turnover in your opponent's territory, or obviously if you score on D. And a lot of times, um, you get like you get the special teams credit on defense. Like if you block a punt and set up, and you score off of that, that goes towards towards defense. So, uh, and same thing on on kickoff. If you create some type of explosive play on kickoff coverage. So um, wish list would be score set up a score twice a game. And I don't think that's, I, I don't think that's asking uh, too much. Whenever you look at the, the remaining schedule, we're playing some quarterbacks that like to give up the ball teams that like to give up the ball a little bit. So uh, I think that could be in our wheelhouse. I'm with you. And, I mean, because one of the things it, it feels like, you know, forcing turnovers has, I mean, it's clearly not been, it, it's not been a strength of this defense, but all of that, all, all of these issues you've mentioned already, that all ties into it, right? Because yep. they haven't stopped the run. They haven't rushed the passer. Well, like pressuring quarterbacks, putting them in predictable situations. I mean, that's when you have forced fumbles on the quarterback quarterbacks, throw interceptions, you know, feeling the pressure they're in, you know, third and long, they just, they haven't had a lot of those situations lately. And that's what I couldn't believe it. They've only forced eight turnovers this year, which, and I think just like you're talking about all these things are kind of all encompassing, like you don't stop the run. It makes it hard to pressure the quarterback. Right. And you know, they're all kind of end up being tied together. Um, But I think, I think like generally, the explosive plays aren't coming because because of those other factors that we, we we've mentioned everyone's just kind of on their heels a little bit like we're reacting to everything instead of anticipating and recognizing and being on the 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 attack out there so uh hopefully that changed because you know I've, I've seen some things and it's like i've said we're grading on a curve right I, whenever, whenever I say in the Kansas game, I saw some promising things. I, that's to stop being the 124th rush defense, right? That's I'm not saying like we're knocking on the door of being an elite defense, but I do see some positive signs there that, you know, we're back on the climb up. And I think as that happens, we'll turn into a little bit more of a gre- aggressive defenses and these things should explosive play should end up showing themselves. And okay, you final got, thing, yeah. Final yeah. thing, it's plain and simple, and it was good watching college football all day yesterday to recognize that this is not just an Oklahoma problem, but we got to tackle better. That's just how it is. Got to tackle better. We got to be more physical. We've got to be. Um, we got to be more aggressive at times. Other times, we have to be smart, uh, make the smart play. It's okay to get run over if you're grabbing cloth and making a touchdown saving tackle instead of going in aggressive and, you know, get juked and end up hugging air and it's a 60-yard touchdown. We've seen that a couple of times this year. Got to be smart tackling. But again, it's easier to tackle when it all ties together. When you stop the run on early downs, when you make a team predictable, whenever you communicate, everyone's lined up, the plays end up 
making themselves. It's way easier to make those plays. So it all ties together. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to tackle and make the plays when you're there to make them. Yeah, I, I've got I've got two things left. My defensive wish list. Number one, for Billy Bowman to get back on the field. Yeah. That will be, you know, he is a he's a playmaker for them. And I think his development, like you start thinking about the future of this defense, like he's going to be a key piece. You want to get him back on the field, get him more reps, get him more experience, build that confidence, right? And then this is something that you uh, it kind of you know made me dive into it watching that Oregon and UCLA game. And, and we'll we'll recap that game here in a little bit, but really the difference in the game was Oregon scored touchdowns and UCLA kicked field goals. But that was like the biggest difference. UCLA's defense could not stop Oregon, but it made me wonder, okay, how has the Oklahoma defense been in the red zone? And I'm upset that I looked it up <laughs> because <laughs> they're, they chart, you know, red zone touchdown rate, right? Basically, when a team gets in the red zone, how often do you give up a touchdown? You want to venture a guess, percentage guess? I'm trying to think of a stop that comes to mind. There's got to be, there's got to be one or two. I would say we give up a touchdown 90%. 75, 75% of the time when a team gets in the red zone, this is the one that's going to make you mad. Goal to go. Touchdown rate. So when a when a team gets first in goal, they have scored one hundred percent of the time against Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, T- a touchdown. That Oops. that li- listen, I I am I've got I don't have high expectations for this defense the rest of the year, but if if they could do one thing well. Right in the tackling, getting pressure on the quarterback, stopping the run, like all that. If they can just force teams to kick field goals, if they can just not allow touchdowns all the time, mm-hmm. that'd be a great step in in the right direction. Right, right, because it it's hard to play defense in college football now, I man. It is, but if they can, and I don't want to use the term bend but not break, but like you have to be better in the red zone. As a defense, you absolutely have to, because those percentages, 75% red zone touchdown rate and a 100% goal-to-go touchdown rate. Those are unacceptable numbers. Well, here's one of the things that I think, having played defense, and I know that this can happen. When you're on a drive, you've given up a couple of plays, now you find yourself in the red zone. A lot of times there's not a, like you don't make the switch over to red zone defense, which it's it's like things have changed all of a sudden, right? We've gotten inside the 20. The field is more condensed. As they get closer to the goal line, the more in our favor things become. And that changes the way that you play and changes the way that you approach things like the way you communicate, everything's going to be quicker. Ball's going to be quicker. Like I feel like sometimes in the middle of a drive, you just, the natural thing is you, you just, you show up and play the next snap, right? 
And you have to be situationally aware to know that, all right, here we're starting to get into our zone here where things favor us. Let's play to that. And I don't think that, you know, and it makes sense. Like, like I said, tunnel vision, right. Is, is what's going on. Like we've got to be able to flip that switch, recognize that we're in red zone defense because for an offense, it becomes, it becomes way more difficult. Everyone's piled in there. Everyone's closer to the line of scrimmage ball has to come out way quicker. So yeah, we've, I agree with you. That would be, that'd be fantastic to be better. And it doesn't take much, man. You force one or two field goals a game instead of giving up touchdowns there, all of a sudden you're going to find out that you're playing pretty good defense and it's helped your team out a ton. Yeah. All right. You got anything else defensively? Nope. All right. Offensively, the first thing I've got, eliminate all the pre-snap penalties. No false starts, no motion penalties. That stuff is all about discipline, accountability, whatever word you want to use, being prepared, whatever word you want to use. It's very similar to what you said about the defense Mm -hmm. when it comes to getting lined up and knowing what you're doing. Stop jumping off sides. That's that's where I wanted to start. We've seen it too much. It needs to be gone. Other penalties, penalties of passion, like holds, some things like that. Those things happen, man. But there's been way too many pre-snap penalties offensively. Those have to go. Totally agree. Yeah. You know, especially like there's, it's, it's something that you've always got to eliminate any, any team out there, no matter who you are, you have to eliminate it and you have to play clean, efficient football. We saw it be a major factor in some games yesterday, right? Uh, some teams being heavily penalized, other teams not. Um, I, but especially right now, some teams operate, I almost in the gray area because they're so good. They have such an advantage over their opponents that they're trying to squeeze every ounce of it. And some of those things are kind of built in a little bit. I, we have no margin for error right now on either side of the ball, frankly. Right? You go back to that Kansas State game. When we had a penalty on a drive, drive over. And it didn't matter if it was a 10-yard hold or a five-yard procedure. We just we do not have the margin for error right now to be able to to overcome those things. I'm I'm totally with you there. Yeah. So my next thing is because I was thinking, okay, other than the 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 simple like, hey, stop messing up before you snap the football. I was thinking, what's the most important for this team to continue to progress offensively? And this is just what I believe when it comes to football. The offensive line is what drives everything. And if they can continue to show improvement along the offensive line, if they can continue to establish a new standard for how you play in Jeff Levy's offense, and we've started to see some better things, but I think when you talk about the future of this offense, not just the rest of the season, but moving forward, I think it starts with the offensive line and the attitude of that group and how they play. And, you know, I would really like to see improvement from Anton Harrison, uh, Wanya Morris, and Andrew Rain in particular, because you think about looking towards the future, and, and I know that Anton and Wanya are both going to have the chance 
to declare for the draft if they want to. I don't think that would be a smart decision for either of them with what I've seen uh, to this point of the season. But you start thinking about some of the pillars of this offensive line for next year. Those three guys, I, I think if we can continue to see growth the rest of the season, that will that will really set this offense up moving forward. And for Anton, it's a, I need to see more pop and explosion in the run game. Wanya, you got to he's got to be better with his hands and pass pro. Rain, now he just needs to get better overall, but he's got to bend better. He's got to use his hands better. He's got to strain more. But those three guys in particular, I want to continue to see growth because if if the offensive line is good and solid and nasty and all these things, I, I think a lot of things fall into place moving forward offensively. Now, um, totally agree. I mean, that's that's got to be the foundation of of every offense. You got to have dominant offensive line play. If we're talking about being the the quality of football team that we expect around here, that's where it's got to be. Now, I feel like even though we were we were stuck in a three game losing streak, and then we got we got back on the right side against Kansas. I feel like there's been some incremental improvement there on the offensive line. Is that do you do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I do. Now, it, it's also one of those things you look at and you're like, Kansas doesn't exactly have a bunch of world beaters along the defensive line, especially right. in the interior. But so, even against Texas, as limited as we were game plan wise. Like yeah. there was some good physical play from the offensive line, it, and that's tough when they're teeing off on you because you've settled into a rotation of about four or five total plays. I mean that that can be brutal. Yeah, and but I'll, I'll just say this: Iowa State defensive line. Yes, sir. They are. It is like being in a bar fight, man. Well, really, Iowa State, Baylor. Even West Virginia, like your uh, Oklahoma State, for sure, you're going to see some good defensive lines down the stretch. Yeah. So, offensive line better bring it, and I hope they do. I expect them to, but that kind of the stuff about the O line kind of ties into everything else for me, right? You you want to continue to see the run game build, right? There's there's a there was a lot of good stuff in that Kansas game, like you mentioned. There was some good stuff. In the Texas game, I, I would like to see Marcus Major get healthy. Like I, I'm confident Eric Gray is going to continue to do his thing, right? I am, but I would like to see Marcus Major get healthy because I, I want to see him if he's going to be a guy that's going to be a big contributor moving forward, not just this year but next season. The same for Javante Barnes. Like I want to see him build some confidence, and the staff has been very pleased with his progress up to this point. And if he can get eight to 10 touches where he's fresh and full speed and they can design a few things to get him the ball in situations where it really plays to his strengths. Like I think that will be, that will be big moving forward. But yeah, the, the run game is, is something I want to continue to see it grow and develop. And that, that kind of ties back into what I said about the attitude and, kind of the standard for the offensive line. Yeah. And I had that down too. And, and just to kind of 
I'll just go ahead and, and, and build on that point. Mine was just run with physicality. And I know that that's always like, it's just like the, the coach speak. You just throw that term out there. But I think there's an important distinction uh, between running the ball successfully with what I would call like gotcha plays, like run it where they're not, quick hitter here. You know, they don't have enough guys in the box. Let's get five or six on this this quick play. There's a difference between that running the football and blunt force trauma running the football where you're mowing over the top of everyone. They know what's coming. They're they're piled in the box. They've dedicated safeties to the run game. Here it comes, and you're blowing D-lines off the football. Uh, your, your back's in the backfield. Your lead blockers from the backfield are kicking guys out, getting movement. And you're 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 burying people like and I've seen some of that start to happen. Right. So just continue to build on that. And that's where that attitude comes in. And I think it I think it goes back to confidence, too. Like th- there's there's the quick hitters, the gotcha runs. I don't know that that necessarily builds a lot of confidence on the offense. What builds confidence is whenever it's third and two, you run power counter on the inside. You cave a whole side down. Uh, you know, a guard has a great kick out on a DN and the, the H-back leads up and buries a backer and you turn into an eight or 10-yard gain. Like, that is what leads to confidence. Yeah, and when you think about what great run games look like, yes, you have your game plan runs, right, where you see some things formationally or where you motion a guy and you're like, ooh, that creates good angles. But the best football teams – you just you get to your staple plays in different ways, right? You motion a guy here, you line up in different formations, maybe some stuff you haven't shown, and you get to counter, and you get to outside zone, you get to split zone, and that's what this team has to do. And we we've seen, we've really seen some of the good stuff off the counter concept, a, a variety of ways. I would like to see some more outside zone. I just don't know if I'm ever going to get it because I don't think Levy loves it. But if they can get good at, let's just say, four runs, right? And it doesn't it doesn't really matter how you get to them, right? The the counter concept, whether that's GT counter or the counter where you got the you got the guard pulling and then you got the tight end as your second puller, the inside zone kind of split zone concept. Right. And then you've got the G concept on the front side, guards pulling out, kicking out that backside tight ends coming around for the second guy. I mean, if you can get that and I'm, I'm holding out hope for outside zone being that fourth one, but if you can just get really good at those four, I mean, that's how you build a run game. Mm-hmm. You, you just get to it in a variety of different ways, but it's like, Hey, this is what we, what we run. We're going to formate things and shift in motion to get you guys good angles. And let's just, let's be great at that. Let's be a great at a handful of those things. I would, I would love to see that start to develop for this run game. Totally. Will agree. it? I don't know. Well, it's, it has to, you know, at some yeah. point, uh, is it, is it going to happen this year to where, you know, like a lot of the best teams, best offenses, like it's not just 
it's not just like your identity on your football team with yourselves, but that's how everyone begins to know you, right? And like this is what they run. They run it better than anyone else. Teams come in and study it. Like, how do you guys do this so well? Like, you, that's how some teams are in the NFL with outside zone concepts. And, you know, there's there's a lot of that. So, yeah, we've we've got to figure that out, figure out that identity, and just totally build on it. I'm with you. Uh, I got a couple more. And this one's obvious, but I hope Dylan Gabriel can solve his accuracy issues. And, you know, I would just, I would love for him to cut out some of the head scratching throws. Mm -hmm. The decision making has been good, right? But he's got to cut out the stuff where we randomly go, wait, what what happened there? Did the ball get tipped? Like, that's got to go. If you're protected and the timing's good and all that stuff, you got to put the ball where it's supposed to be. And that kind of tying that in with the deep balls, right? Mm-hmm. They have to connect on more deep balls. They have to get more explosive plays in the passing game. And you can say, well, if you run it better, that can set up some of that stuff. But that is on Dylan Gabriel in this wide receiver court. They have to connect on those. I don't care what they have to do to make it happen. They have to connect on those plays because I'm tired of watching all these games around the country where these guys are catching long balls, and it feels like forever ago since OU had one. Oh, we got a sneezing Ted. Nice. <laughs> Sorry about that. I totally agree, and that's one that I had written down, deep ball success. Um, we had it early in the season. It's faded a little bit. We've been so close on some of those. I don't know. I don't know what the issue is there, um, but like again margin for error right we don't have the margin for error right now to be hitting long foul balls like we've got to be able to complete those passes at a higher rate like i and i understand you're not going to hit on all of them but you've got to be able to like your best player offensively mims what he's best at is the deep ball like we are not a fully functioning offense until we're hitting that because he's open every time. We're not a fully functioning offense until we start to hit that pass a decent percentage of the time. Frankly, I'd like to see it every time, but you know, that's it's not really a reality. You're gonna overthrow some. Some guys are gonna make some plays on those balls. I understand that, but we've got to hit that with more regularity for sure. Yeah. My, the last thing I've got down. You mentioned Mims, and when you look at the wide receiver court, right? Mims is an old guy. Weiss is an old guy. Stoops is an old guy. I would like to see Jalil Farouk get going. Yeah. But I, I would like to see him. We've seen some flashes of the type of player he can be. I, I would like to see him step up in these last five games. Now, the ball's got to come his way, right? That's how it works yep. at wide receiver. But if he can have some big games, build some confidence, and it's nothing against those other guys, right? But we don't know what Mims and Weiss and Stoops are doing next year, right? I think all three of them can come back, but those are three guys that have played a lot of football, you know? So I wouldn't – whatever they decide on doing, I mean, no judgment here. But Farouk's going to be back next year. 
So if I I would like to see him really really get it going and kind of play up to the talent level I feel like he's got. So that's that's just one I would I would really like to see Julio Fruit put together a, a nice string here to end the season. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, you know, we, we've we found a, a little bit of a window there, handing it to him on some of those quicks. Now, that was kind of a Texas thing. I haven't really gotten back to that a little bit. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, you you got to start grooming some of these guys for the future. And it's not just Baruch. Like, whenever the younger guys get in, whether it's, you know, mop-up duty or giving someone a breather, whatever that is, those guys have to start having some success when they're out there. Like they've only had a handful of opportunities and haven't been able to really pay it off. Now, sometimes it's been quarterback issues or, or just not getting uh, balls thrown to you. Other times it's been drops or not being in the right place, not running the right routes. Like we've got to figure that out and start planning for the future. I, I, I agree with you. Like we've, we've got some guys that have decisions to be made. Who knows what happens there? And, You've got to be able to pick up right where you left off at the skill position spots. Yeah. All right. You got anything else offensively? I don't think so. Wish list is score a 60 a game. Not too much. That would be nice. (laughs) That would be nice. All right. Let's get to call your shot. And we asked you guys, what's one thing offensively, one thing defensively you're hoping to see the rest of the season. Uh, This first one comes from Tiki bar sooner on Twitter, who says offensively, Hit on some of those deep balls we missed in the first seven games. Continue the success in the run game. And then on defense, want to see more out of the pass rush. I'd also like to see the guys in the right spot and keep everything in front of them. Less missed tackles. It's like he knew what we were going to say before we even said it, Ted. We don't even need to do this podcast. I mean, uh, experts supposedly, but I think everyone can pretty much see the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, Great. Great job. Tiki bar sooner. Was, and then this one, this was interesting. This one comes from Eileen Kelly, who said, I would like the offense to continue to be balanced, running and throwing the ball. I would like the defense to get more pressure on the quarterback and stop the run. Would love to win out, but more importantly, get bowl eligible so that we can have those extra practices. That's critical. That was an we we were not in a good place after the Texas game. I will I'll be the first to admit that. You mentioned, hey, don't care about a bowl game. We should. We should yes. care about a bowl game. We definitely should because those practices are critical for the development of the younger guys on this roster. And I I am not worried about OU winning two more games. I think that is I think that's absolutely going to happen. But damn it, it better happen because they need those practices, man. Yeah, no, that's and I, I guess that's great really point, Eileen. Yeah, like I don't care about a bowl game as far as like we need to hang our hat on being able to go to like say we were bowl eligible, right? That I don't care about. But yes, what is it usually? depending on when it is, ends up being about 15 practices or so. Yep. Which is a lot. I mean, you think about that. I mean, that's that's an entire spring ball. So, yeah, it's 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 critical. Like, we are not in a position right now to, 
you know, to lose that type of ground to everyone else in this early critical phase in, in Venable's tenure. Absolutely agree. Great yep. point. All right, let's get to our interview with Jackson Arnold. But first, we got some birthday shout outs, baby. Happy eighth birthday to Mallory Stafford. Happy 11th birthday to Camden Cox. Happy 24th birthday to Madison Crawford. Happy 31st birthday to Tyson Reed. Happy 41st birthday to Abby Blair. And happy 68th birthday to Eugene Queener. Happy birthday to Ginger Welch. And happy birthday to Ryan Lamblee. Lambly, 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 Lambly. I'm going Lambly, like Lamb, and then Lee. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's what I'm Lambly. going with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ryan Lambly. Happy birthday. All right. Let's get to Jackson Arnold. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. The coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone, so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator when you see that red neon heart on the highway. Stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. And Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. As a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here he is. Here's Jackson Arnold. It is our pleasure to be joined by a five-star quarterback in the 2023 class. He also happens to be committed to the University of Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold is in the house. Jackson, where's the mustache, man? What happened? I was I was told to I was told to make fun of you for the mustache, but it's gone. Yeah, it's my fault. I uh, I shaved it during our bye week just to kind of reset it for playoffs. Got to get the juice going back. That's like nice. It. Hey, you know what? Whatever you got to do to reset a little bit, but uh, you know, whenever you're a freshman, whenever you make it to Oklahoma, you, there's no telling what they might do. So, like, just the fact that you've gone through the mustache stuff already, that's setting you up. Yes, sir. No doubt. So, before we talk about, and I, I'm very interested in kind of what the recruitment process is like for, you know, for a guy like yourself, five-star QB, but 
before we talk about all that, how's the season going, man? Uh, we're recording this before you got a big game this week against Allen that'll actually be on ESPN too. But uh, up to this point, how how's the season going for you? Up to this point, it's been great. You know, 7-0 is everything we could wish for. Uh, everyone's playing good. We're playing as a team. Everyone's bonding. It's super fun. This is one of my favorite teams I've ever been a part of, honestly. Like, everyone's connecting good. It's just been – we've been having a blast. And we play tomorrow on ESPN, as you just said. Um, this will air Monday. So I'm praying that we won. But it's been it's been really fun so far. And being able to play on ESPN is a really cool experience. So – was it the plan all along to try and get your recruitment and everything behind you before you head into this final year or did it just kind of unfold like that? Cause I got to imagine that getting it done and being able to just go out there and focus on the football, focus on your fundamentals, focus on uh, being a part of a team and playing with your teammates and driving towards a goal. Uh, it's, it's probably has to be nice to have that behind you. Was that the plan? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I might not have planned to commit as early as I did, but as soon as I visited Oklahoma, I just knew that was a place I wanted to be. But my original plan was to maybe, I don't know, take visits during the spring and then commit in the summer. I was never planning on dragging it out through the season because I just wanted, I just wanted one less thing to worry about for the season. Just kind of focus on playing ball. So, why Oklahoma, man? What what was it about the staff, uh, the program, that made you want to commit as early as you did? Yeah, well, first off, it was the staff. You know, I wouldn't have this opportunity if uh, Coach Riley didn't leave and uh, Coach Venables and Coach Lebby came in. And on top of that, I was super close with Lebby um, at Ole Miss. It was always good to be in my family, and we created a really strong bond there and just built on top of that at Oklahoma. I remember he called me and told me he got the job and told me I needed to come visit pretty soon. Well, I did. I went up, talked to Coach V, met the whole entire staff, saw campus, saw facilities, met the people around it, like the sole mission, met all those guys and absolutely loved it. Yeah, there's a lot of good things happening up there. The facilities are good right now, but they're about to get a lot better. Uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, in the pipeline there. So like, you said that you didn't originally plan to commit as early as you did. What was it? Was it, was it the meeting with the staff? I mean, is it just one of those things where when you know, you know, like everything just clicked, it felt right and you wanted to get it out of the way? Pretty much. I mean, it, it just kind of felt like home. I even uh, – I didn't commit uh, the day that I visited there. I committed, I think, the next week. But um, when I was there shopping like the, at the uh, – I was in Campus Corner after just going and buying some clothes. And I was, I was talking to my mom, I'm like, what do you think if I committed here? Like, I was – I felt that strongly about it after talking to Coach V. And she said she was perfectly fine with it. Um, slept on it, prayed about it, and a couple of days later committed. So you, you mentioned Coach V now. Teddy played for Coach Venables. He was one of his linebackers. Coach V was the defensive coordinator when I was there, so we we know him well. What's what's it like getting recruited by that guy right now? Because I mean, it's different. He used to be the coordinator. Now he's the head guy. What's it like mm -hmm. being being uh, recruited by Brent Venables? I never knew Coach Coach Venables as a you know, defensive coordinator, but as a head coach, he's super high energy. I'm sure y'all can say the same, extremely high energy. I don't get off the phone with him until like 45 minutes later on FaceTime because <laughs> he just talks forever. But it's all it's all good stuff. Like, I'm not complaining. I love talking to Coach Venables, but he's a great guy, super high energy guy. I'm super glad he's my coach. So you've got to see in, – in, I know you knew Lebby's offense 
from his time at Ole Miss. You had a good relationship with him there. And, you know, seeing the offense now at Oklahoma and the way it, it's taken shape and, boy, it's quarterback driven. I think we've seen that here recently that whenever you have your guy in there, you can put up the, the huge yards. But, um, you know, uh, I guess that's that's why we need guys like you coming in. Uh, so, like, what's your overall impressions of that of that offense? Super impressed so far. It's been very creative. Um, I love I love all the play calls so far. Even in games like TCU, when maybe we weren't having that success in the first half. I mean, the people were open. The plays were open. We just didn't execute properly. Um, I think that's one thing to look at is people can look at that TCU game and bash the offense for, or bash Coach Levy for only having certain amount of yards, certain amount of points, whatever. But if you go back and actually look at the game, everything he's calling has been open. Everything's been working. It's just a matter of execution at that point. I've been really impressed with how almost every play I've seen is, has been open in one way or another. There's an answer to pretty much everything. Yeah, that's that's kind of what the offense is based on. You just have an answer no matter what, what coverage you're getting defensively in the past game. Now, Correct me if I'm mistaken, but you were at the Texas game, right? I was. So none of us had fun there. Teddy and I were both <laughs> there. But after it, you know, what was kind of the message from the staff? Because I'm sure they reached out to the recruits and things like, hey, just just bear with us. Like, we're working through this stuff. Because clearly that was not, that was not the per- type of performance that Oklahoma wanted to have on that stage in that game. Yeah, um, Levy texted me not long after the game. Uh, basically, short, sweet message. He said, said, get up here and get ready to play. Get ready to – just get ready to come on and take reps and get ready to play, which I'm super excited for and super ready for. So, Yeah, well, it'll be here before you know it, which are, – are you are you set to be an early arrival? Yes, sir, I am. Yeah, it's, it's going to be happening – uh, I mean, it's around the corner. It's around the corner. It's going to be on your fast, and it's going to be great to have you here. It's going to be life-changing and all for the better. Like, what are some of the things that maybe you look at right now in your game um, that not necessarily are they weaknesses, but things that you feel like at the next level that you're going to have to really accelerate and get those things uh, tuned in, whether it's arm strength, whether it's accuracy. Like, just are there are there any of those things that you're – you're really chomping at the bit to really increase and get better at once you get on campus. Uh, definitely uh, my throwing mechanics and that kind of, uh, uh, I guess, partners with arm strength just because increasing uh, the smoothness of my mechanics and making it more efficient, allowing me to use my hips more will create more velocity and more, create more arm strength and uh, just put some more, put some more velocity on the ball to kind of help me get that college ready arm. So that that's interesting. Just hearing you talk about it that way, the mechanics and the hips and stuff. Do you have a throwing coach? I know this has become a thing like QB trainers and all that stuff. And h- how does that work with kind of what you're doing in high school? And then what Levy has been telling you, like, how's that all work, man? I do have a QB coach. Um, I, I normally work with him in the off season. So after the season will be done, I'll get with him probably. Before I head up to OU, I'll get with them probably four times a week to kind of refine mechanics, um, make sure everything's good. Now that I think about it, I won't be with them that much because the uh, the Under Armour game. So I'll be – we're planning to play into December, December 18th for a state championship game. I think the week after or we leave the 29th for Orlando for the game. 
So I'll have about a week and a half and I'll probably go every single day, just telling my QB coach and kind of diving deep into the mechanics, making everything more effortlessly, more effortless, pretty much. Uh, to be young and have that type of energy uh, right after every day. That sounds season. terrible. Uh, that's great. So, okay. So correct me on, on any of this, if the timeline is not right, but you, you commit to Oklahoma at the time you're a four star, right? Um, you go out, you do the elite 11 stuff that goes fantastic. Uh, as things progress, you get that fifth star. The season's been going amazing for you. You're committed to Oklahoma, but I got to imagine that everyone is still trying to beat the door down. Like, how have you handled that? You know, what you, you and I'm sure it was happening before you got the, the, the fifth star, but like, if there was ever a doubt about you being on the, on the map, you are firmly on the map now. And I'm sure every school out there is still trying, even though they know you're committed, still trying to get, at least a conversation to see what they can do to sway you. Yeah, definitely after the uh, the three games before the Kansas game for OU, just kind of after all that happens, you have coaches reaching out, just kind of kind of asking me how I am. And I, I understand why they're texting, because OU just went on a three-game losing streak. But at the end of the day, I trust Coach V and Coach Levy and what all the coaching staff's doing, and we'll get this train back on tracks pretty soon. People are going to really like hearing that, man. <laughs> They're going to really like hearing that. Now, so you commit in January, and I, I think you were like the first or at very least the second guy to to commit in that 2023 class, and, and you're the quarterback. Do you just w – w once you committed, do you just start recruiting other guys, right? Because Teddy and I talk about this quite a bit. You know, the quarterback always ends up being the face of the recruiting class and no one can recruit better than the face of the class. And so what, how, how much pressure did you feel to start recruiting other guys and bring them here in the fold to OU? A lot of pressure, especially because as you said, um, it was me and uh, me, Josh Bates and DeAndre Moore in this class. Um, DeAndre Moore decommitted. So it was just me and Josh. And uh, it was hard at first, I'm not going to lie. Everything was going pretty slow. I wasn't losing hope. Uh, I knew we'd be fine in the long run. I didn't think we'd have the number three or number four class that we have right now, but things were going slow at first. I kind of got a little discouraged, but just kind of kept kept grinding. Me and Josh kept grinding. And eventually in June, we started to get some commits. We had our official visitors um, June 3rd. And then July hit, and it just took off. And it was pretty cool to see because it's kind of like all this hard work that me and Josh and the early people put in finally come to fruition. So, yeah, I, I think it, I think that's big. And that obviously means a lot to not just the staff and the current players on the roster, but the fan base as well to see a, a kid that's, that's out there grinding, trying to, trying to do the best that he can right out of the gate. And as you talk, that recruiting class, continue to improve and there was there were some diamonds in the rough early and I, I would say uh you kind of fall into that category that that there was a lot of the right guys that their stars have continued to rise as as things have moved on and as you guys talk like is the resolve still there as as, as much as it was early on june july when everyone started to to commit you still feel like everyone's bought in and 
and like feels a responsibility, not just, you know, about the, the recruiting class, but with the success of Oklahoma in the future. Yeah, definitely. I, I really don't. We all talk in our uh, our players group chat after games and stuff. And past couple of weeks, it, there really wasn't anything negative said. It was more so of, well, I see I, I can probably play earlier now or simple stuff like that. I just wait till <laughs> wait till Coach V gets That's us right. back on back on the tracks. And they were pretty faithful, uh, pretty hopeful for the future, pretty faithful and had a lot of trust in the staff. Oh, I'm dying at that. Like just the entire 2023 class ain't you like, watching this, yeah, dude. We're, go. <laughs> we're gonna get on the field. This is awesome. <laughs> no, that's that's good, man. So you guys, do you guys talk a lot? Like, do you just have like the group text going? Are you guys texting during games? Like, how's that how's that all work? Yeah, well, we have like a group chat with uh JR Sandlin on text and then Snapchat. We made a a players group chat on Snapchat that we'll all talk to. We'll snap each other and just uh, mess around. So, uh, take us be back careful to with that. that old Snapchat. That 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 thing's gonna be <laughs> Not, that thing's gonna be interesting bad, here bad. in a couple of years, guys. Yeah, that's right. Um, take us back to that that Elite Eleven camp, which is, is really cool deal to to get the invite there and be able to go uh, and kind of compare yourself against the best. I. Were you nervous going out there? I know you were probably excited about the opportunity, but just how how'd that whole thing go? And and what was it like in the end? Whenever after all that hard work and everything performed well, you, you get named the MVP. Yeah, it, it was. A, I was definitely nervous heading out there. I'm sure everyone was. It was something I wanted to be a part of for years now since I was mostly like sixth grade fifth sixth grade it's something I wanted to do and be a part of and to finally see it happen was awesome but um I was thinking about this the other day actually I was kind of going in there as an underdog um per se like I would uh I would watch I think two days before they started putting out like previews for the little 11 I'd go watch it and they'd they'd mention like seven or eight quarterbacks like the top 10 and they never mentioned my name so I'm just kind of like whatever I guess it's time to show them you know went out um had a good first day, which I think kind of set up my success later because I had a better first day than I had third day. But the first two days, I think I performed uh, so well that it kind of trumped my third. I'm not saying I did bad my third day, but those two kind of trumped the third one, kind of just let me win the whole thing, which was really awesome too. just kind of being in the company of guys like uh, CJ Stroud and Justin Fields and people like that. Matthew Stafford is pretty cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that thing has turned into a, a massive deal, especially now with what Dilfer's done with it. What, what was the coolest part, right? Like, what what was the coolest experience? I don't know if it was the coaching, the instruction you got, or you know, just interacting with the other guys. Like, what was the coolest part of that Elite Eleven experience for you? Um, I'd definitely say interacting with the guys. Like, I really, honestly, I could say everything but the hot yoga we did. Cause that was the worst thing ever. It really was. It was really bad. I, I enjoyed every single part of it. Seriously. It was in a great experience, but that hot yoga was not it. It was, it was really bad. <laughs> you keep in touch with any of the guys that you met out there and, and played with. Yes, sir. Every, every once in a while, we'll, we'll text each other and see how the season's going. Just checking with each other. Who was, you know, just cause you, you never know who you're going to end up playing against in college football, who, who was the other guy? Who's like the one guy where you're like, dang, okay, that guy can spin it. Uh, Dante Moore, for sure. The first and uh, 
first and second day, I, I was uh, I wasn't in his group, but I would go off and look at other groups too, like while we we're throwing, while I was waiting in line. And he's the one that stood out to me. Very consistent, like very, very consistent, accurate, spins the ball really well. Yeah. What about um in I'm sure you've got some really good uh talent on your team that you're throwing to, but um I, I don't know the guys that were out there, but I'm sure there's some some elite guys that you've thrown to. And is is that kind of what you expect to feel like whenever you're you're at the next level throwing to some of those receivers? Or do you already have a good feel for that with some of the guys that you've practiced with and uh, play with now? I think I have a pretty good feel with it for it right now. Obviously not exactly how it's going to be in college, but uh, my outside, my left outside receiver got offers from my Tennessee and Penn State. And my other outside receiver is committed to UIW, but could have I mean, he he was good like OU was going to offer him a PWL, so like and he could go over there and, and come come here and earn that that offer. But he could definitely go Power Five in my eyes. So throwing the guys like that kind of has me already ready for college in my eyes. Good, I like it. Okay, so being a five star quarterback, it, it seems great. Now i I was not a quarterback, so I got no idea what it's like going through the process. Is are there any negatives to it? Like, is there any annoying part of being such a highly recruited guy at the quarterback position? Uh, definitely the pressure that gets put on you, um, especially in games. Too, a lot's expected of you, and if you don't perform, you could probably get you probably get bashed on social media and all that. You just kind of have to learn to tune that out. Really, which I don't. I don't try to. I don't focus on any negative stuff I see on Twitter or anything. I just kind of. I just try to work to be the best I am in games. Has your how's the, your high school coaching staff handled that type of stuff with you? Is is that something you guys have a dialogue about, and and something that you've had to talk to before the season and maybe throughout the season about kind of the pressure of it and kind of where you're at and and not letting all that kind of get to you or anything? Uh, not really. Um, our all of our coaches are we kind of feel the same about our. I'm trying to think about how to word this. Our coaches have faith in us. They don't. Uh, they don't have to feel the need to tell us, you know, be level-headed. Because me, Peyton, Ryan, Eli, we're all level-headed, humble people, and we we know that we don't. Our ego doesn't get too big, and we don't let people take it too low. So that's a good way of doing it, man. There, there's no doubt. Now, you know, one of the big things right now for highly recruited guys like yourself is this conversation around NIL and the role it's playing in recruiting and where guys are going, like. Is that overblown? Is it that big of a deal to you? Have you heard stories from other guys? Like how, what are some of your thoughts just on the name, image, and likeness stuff and kind of the role it's playing right now in college football? Um, Obviously, I like it because it gives me opportunity to make money, but I'm also kind of skeptical about it. Uh, you hear these stories of kids um, being offered millions of dollars and you, I mean, obviously that could uh, – I could gather your interest, but at the same time, is it real? Like you, you don't, you don't know till you get there if it's real or not. If it's not real, you're stuck there for at least a year before you can get out. And I, I like NIO because it gives us a lot of opportunities, but I feel like it's also kind of ruining recruiting in a way because you know you can just buy out other schools at this point. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be frustrating and. And I can understand the pressure of it, not, you know, and it's new to everyone and not knowing how it's all going to work out and, you know, not knowing 
a lot of times the people behind it, you know, because it's not tied with the university and, and can you trust all those things? It's got to be yeah. tough to, uh, to make your way through it. Um, so tell us about the rest of the season, man. Um, we know you got this big game coming up uh, with Allen. That's going to be awesome. Being able to watch that on, on television. How you guys think you stack up? I, I know you said you plan on playing in the state championship at the end of December before the Under Armour game, which I love the confidence, but like, tell us about some of the, the top teams out there that you're looking forward to maybe playing. Uh, super excited about this game tomorrow. Allen's a great team. Has some great ball players. It's going to be a really fun game. Uh, play McKinney next week. A really solid team. Uh, all three of us are tied for district title right now. Us, Allen, and McKinney. And then when it gets to playoffs, uh, teams like Highland Park will be round two. Um, Byron Nelson's been playing really good so far. That'd be like round three. And the big one I'm excited for is there's a chance we play DeSoto round five, which would be extremely fun. See, uh, I'm an Oklahoma guy, and I know every program you're talking about, so I know that yeah, those are all going to be great games. Oh, yeah. So, I like so, that the, 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 it's so big that it's like round five and then round six. And round, there's so many teams there yeah. that are good. It's That's pretty impressive. All right, man. With you know, One more question for you, and then let's get out of here. What's it been like because, you know, Teddy and I are OU guys. We're fully aware of how passionate and enthusiastic the fan base can be, especially on Twitter yeah. and Instagram and that type of stuff. What what has that whole experience been like since you committed and, and since you've kind of become, you know, the face of this next group, kind of this next phase of OU football as it transitions to the SEC here in a few years? It's it's really awesome just kind of seeing all these fans have your back regardless. I think on my Twitter, I went from having like 2,000 followers to now like 16K. And then Instagram, like 2,000 to like almost 10,000 now. So seeing that many people keep up with OU is actually pretty cool to see. And just knowing that the fan base is going to be with y'all regardless if y'all are winning or losing, hot streak, cold streak, they're going to be with y'all and support y'all regardless. The stadium is going to be packed all the time. It's just really cool. Go whip Allen. Smoke him. Yes, sir. Pull him for you. All right, Jackson, man. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, that that guy has become very popular among OU fans. Very, very popular. Yeah, had quite the little outing against Allen, Texas, right? Caught some people's attention, was on ESPN2. Awesome. Yeah, that was uh that was the the only high school football I've watched all season, I think, and I'm not proud to say that, but it's just the truth. He's pretty good. He looks good. Yeah, and it's not like like Allen, Texas is that is a well coached talented Kyler football went. team. Yeah, like that's not we're not talking obscure. Have you seen their stadium? No. Allen's? Oh, it's you would love Oh, this yeah, story. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have seen. I remember when it first got built. Do you remember? Yeah. yeah, when they messed it up. Oh, I don't remember when they messed it up. But... I think that was Allen Stadium. Maybe it was another one of them, but one of them they they I, and I don't know anything about construction. They did something wrong, and it was a it was a big mess up. I think I don't remember if it was their stadium. Maybe it wasn't, but ooh, oops. Yeah. But it's kind of a big deal there. So this isn't like obscure small town football somewhere in, in a state where it's not that big of a deal. Like that's a 
that's a big time performance against legit adversary. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's recap some of the best games of week eight in college football. But first, it's football time in Oklahoma, people, and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. And they're not just for tailgating either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. They've got some new flavors. They've got a new can. Find a place near you that has Clubbies. Visit ClubbySeltzers.com. Drank a lot of Clubbies on the bye weekend. (laughs) Nice. A lot. Attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. All right, week eight of college football. Let's start with Texas, Oklahoma State. Ooh, what a game. Oklahoma State ends up winning 41-34. Let's just address this off the top before we break down the game. Yeah, it's weird that one team had 14 penalties and the other team had zero. That's that's odd, right? There's no other way to describe it. That's weird. That's strange. Doesn't happen. I don't know that I've ever seen that happen. But I, I'm sure it has. And, well, I, I don't know. Frankly, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen. I've so, seen it one-sided, you know, and, and uh, one-sided is usually a big factor in the game. I don't know that I've ever seen it this one-sided, though. Correct. So now that we've acknowledged that, can we just talk about what actually happened on the field? Because I know a lot of people want to make it into, oh, this is the Big 12 punishing Texas. They're leaving. You know, is OU that a fans. thing? I didn't I didn't know that that was a thing. Are we, is that what's going on on social media? Well, oh, you fans are saying, hey, this better not happen to us. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, if the Big 12 is out to get OU in Texas. I'm just we we have addressed it. Now let's talk about what actually happened in between the lines. Texas blew another double-digit second-half lead. That's what happened. That is, that's what they are as a program currently. They blow double-digit second-half leads. And it, it's not fair to put all the blame on one guy, but Quinn Ewers was bad in this football game. And I know it was windy. I don't want to hear it. Spencer Sanders was throwing in the same win, guys. Uh, Ewers was erratic all game long. Uh, it started with the interception on that first drive. Like he just never found any rhythm or consistency throwing the ball. And his offensive line wasn't great, but they also they weren't like god awful or anything. He just he missed all kinds of open wide receivers. And I know Steve Sarkeesian's getting a lot of lot of criticism, right? And he deserves it. That's what everything starts with the head coach, Ted. But 
Ewers is missing open guys. Yeah. I mean, Sark is drawing up plays, and these guys are running open. And I thought Sark might pull them at some point. I mean, this dude was 19 of 49. Woo. Yeah, with three picks. And, yeah. The it, third pick wasn't his fault. Like, Sanders. You know, or right. Was it the third one? The, the tip. That was off the, Sanders' the hands. One, right? like, yeah. You got to catch the ball, man. You got to yep. catch the ball. Yeah, and and they didn't. I didn't think the Texas wide receivers helped him out late, like like that You're final right. interception. I thought Xavier Worthy should have made that one play on the deep ball where he kind of lost it. Did, did he lose it bit. in the lights? What happened? I don't know. Maybe the wind. I mean, you got to remember that field runs east and west, so we had like a thirty mile an hour south wind in Oklahoma. So I'm sure that that they're getting some cross action on that. I don't I don't know. I, he he just did not track it well, or maybe he just was late finding it. I, I have no idea. It but it was bizarre. That's because, a play that he usually makes. Yeah, it, I mean, if that's late in the fourth quarter in the end zone, and remember they end up missing the field goal after that. So that that was weird. I don't know if it was the throw or worthy or the combination of both, but that was a strange play and. Yeah, so I, I thought Ewers was I mean, he was bad. And on the other hand, I got all kinds of respect for Spencer Sanders now, man. He was really, really good. Now he wasn't perfect, right? He had the bad sequence in that first half, right? He throws it behind Presley, should have been a walk in touchdown, the younger Presley. Mm-hmm. And then follows it up, throwing an interception on a horrible back shoulder throw in the end zone. But other than that, man. Used his legs. They put the game on his hand, uh, put the game in his hands, put it on his right arm. He threw it, I imagine, more times than he's ever thrown it in, in a game and in his career. 57 now, throws. If you would tell me, hey, Oklahoma State's going to have to have Spencer Sanders throw it 57 times, let's say they lose. That would, I mean, th- that means they haven't been able to run it worth a lick and they lose. Mm-hmm. But. He was good. Now the guy needs to work on his sliding technique. <laughs> There's no doubt. But I thought all things considered, he played a hell of a football game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh gutsy. Gutsy late. Played really well late. What Oklahoma State for the uh, scored the final 17 points of the football game. Um they didn't didn't ever give up. They never really lost um you know that Texas held the lead from pretty early in the game for a long time, but they never really lost touch. What was the worst? It was 31-17. Yeah. And was the worst before halftime. And Bijan was ripping off big runs, and that was one thing. I don't know why late in that game they got away from Bijan, but they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did, and Sark's going to have to answer for that. I mean, there's no doubt, but... They had a couple of times where, you know, he would, he would break off like a, a decent run, and then they would go back to it on first down and take like a tackle for loss and they had to get away from it. or the, I don't know necessarily that they had to, but they felt because of the way, I guess maybe things were going down. They felt pressured to get away from it uh, perhaps, but I totally agree. One of the things in this game and like you look at it and, and you kind of wonder how did Oklahoma state went? They were, I mean, they were awful on special teams. Now, I don't think that ball hit Presley. It didn't. Right? It, it didn't hit him, but hey, it's what it got ruled. 
right? So they had that. Now that didn't end up costing them points, but what they missed a field goal, gave up a couple of big punt returns to Worthy. They got a punt block like Ted. Threw an interception in the end zone. Yeah. And for them to do all of that with all the guys that they have banged up right now, we've said it many times. Mike Gundy, while his clock management is not stellar, the man can coach. And for them to make all those special teams mistakes, to turn the ball over, like throw an interception in the end zone, to get down by two touchdowns early, and to just keep chipping away, that that says a lot about that program. It yeah. does. I, I also think it says a lot about where Texas is at as a program. But yeah. that was that was impressive, man. They they got it done. They found a way, and really, that's all that matters. Nope, that's right. You you just continue to grind, continue to to try and make plays, play good, smart football. You know, and, and this was. I picked uh, picked Oklahoma State to win this game coming into it, and for me, the biggest factor was Quinn Ewers has not faced much adversity, and he hasn't played a true road game yet. And that was a that was a really good atmosphere. It was a tough place to play. You know, they weren't going to relent, and I felt like that was really the difference. He looked rattled out there, and he made some poor throws. Ended up, like you said, nineteen of forty nine. And three interceptions, it's just that 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 got him beat. Yeah. No, and he did have the one nice run that got called back for a very suspect hold. I was like, ooh. Yeah, I saw that. Guy just buried Jones, their right tackle. I thought it was clean as can be, just buried him. I think that was I thought that that was was Ford, maybe. I thought that was a bad call too. And I had only just kind of was like they, I was waiting on him to show the replay, and then I happened. I was looking away, and I looked back, and it looked like I was like, "Hmm, hmm, yeah, not a good call there." Yeah, I, I can, can imagine Texas fans weren't overly happy with that one. A couple other things from this game. I've become a big Bryson Green fan. Now, Texas, you got to tackle better, but mm-hmm. what ended up being the game winner? That is a hell of an individual play from Bryson Green, and he's had a bunch this year. Like, he's turning into a highlight machine for them. And then, really, the thing, and I thought this may be, may have been the biggest difference in the game. Oklahoma State, I I questioned whether they were going to be able to run the ball against Texas. And they didn't run it great, but when they got down by the goal line, they ran the ball into the damn end zone with Dominic Richardson, the pride of Bishop McGinnis. Let's go. Yep. Three touchdowns for him. Like, I thought that that was, you know, I was really, really impressed that they were able to do that. Yep. No, I agree. Um, you know, it was tough. Overshone, man, he, he's a dude. He plays, he plays really, really good football. And that guy can cover some ground. And whenever he gets there, he brings some attitude with it. So it was difficult running the ball. I don't know what his numbers ended up being, but I just saw him flashing all over the place. But yeah, uh, when you can cap off drives in the red zone with like nothing fancy, just kind of smash mouth uh, running game, pretty impressive. Yeah. So there's 
there's certainly a lot to be concerned about for Oklahoma State. Most notably, like they, it feels like they're the walking wounded now uh, when it comes to that roster. But they're six and one. Yep, they're right in the middle of it. And so. here's the thing, and we we said this earlier, but to be able to, and I know it was 14-0 whenever it came to penalties, but to win a game against a quality opponent when you make as many mistakes as Oklahoma State did, kind of didn't get the like the the punt that was ruled to have touched, that was the turnover, the blocked punt and throwing an interception in the end zone. And I think those three things happened like almost back to back to back, right? So it was to be able to, uh, you know, weather the storm, stay in the fight, show up for the second half and play some football. I, that's the that's the story on Texas right now. When they lost to Tech, we heard Joey McGuire saying it in the locker room, right? You keep applying pressure, they're going to fold late. And, and that's what's happened down the stretch here for Texas. So – We'll see how they manage that moving forward. Did you what? Did you hear what our old buddy Dave Hunziker said on the radio call? No, it was something along the lines. I, I I wish I had the audio, but it was something along the lines of this came down to one team that has a winning culture and one that team that doesn't. Oh, it was it was vicious, man! It was awesome. I can't imagine how much Oklahoma man. State fans loved it. Oh, that it was great. It was a great line. Hey, it's a great line, and find the flaw in it, please, if you if you can. All right, that's a there's there's a lot of truth to that. Here it is. <laughs> this game gold. was about a program with a winning culture and a program without a winning culture. The winning culture won tonight. Unsiker, oh. <laughs> they're already dead, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, let's Amazing. move on to the next game. UCLA went to Oregon and they got smacked. Wow. Now I do before we talk about this game, do we just forget about what happened in the Oregon Georgia game to start the year? Because listen, I I watched that game, Oregon got embarrassed. They don't look like the same team and I know it's probably has a lot to do with them not playing the best team in the country, right? I get that. But they look really good. Man. Like, I, I know they got whooped in week one. I understand that. But it is possible for a team to get better, especially when you have a first-year head coach and a new staff. And this team, these Oregon Ducks, have gotten a lot better, and they look like a damn good football team right now. They do. How about Bo Nix just ripping deep balls like it's nothing? I mean, just dropping it. Like, he couldn't have drop, dropped them any better. Troy Franklin, he, I, I, we talked about him heading into the game. That guy's going to be a star. I think a lot a lot more people know who he is now. That dude is a baller. And, and that's, you know, I, I thought it was going to come down to quarterback play. And DTR has been exceptional so far this season and I fear he win the duel and that proved to be incorrect you know I don't know if you go up there and weather's a little bit of a factor it's not you know clean blue skies 68 degrees like it is every day in, in Southern California I don't know if that was had an effect on the team or what but 
Bo Nix won that uh, shootout between the two players, and it wasn't really even close. Yeah, and it looked like it was going to be a track meet early. But, and I tweeted it out pretty early in the game. I mean, it became clear to me that UCLA's defense had no answers for what Oregon was doing offensively. Run game was working. QB run game was working. I mean, Bo Nix, like you mentioned, was dropping dimes. Five passing touchdowns. Or do eight, just five touchdowns in general. Five total touchdowns for Bo Nix. No interceptions. I I mean, what really stood out to me is Oregon's O-line was mauling people. Mm-hmm. And UCLA, they've got they've got some physical dudes in that front seven of that defense, but that Oregon O-line controlled the entire football game. Like Bo Nix was comfortable. All day long, that was that was impressive, man. And you got to remember, this is the team that just physically dominated Utah not very long ago. UCLA, yeah, like took it to them physically on both sides of the ball. And Utah has has been kind of the standard in the Pac-12 recently for toughness, physicality, all of those benchmarks. And UCLA went out there and it kind of shoved their nose in it. So that tells you the level that Oregon's playing on right now, pretty impressive. I, I would not be shocked if we see these teams play again. Remember the Pac-12, they got rid of divisions. Mm-hmm. Pac-12 championship games, the top two. And because really, I thought UCLA's offense did some really good things, right? And, and you mentioned DTR didn't have as big of a day as Bo Nix, but he was, yeah. that offense was good enough to win the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. Zach Charbonnet, he he continues to be an impressive back. He's one of my favorite running backs in the country. But ultimately, I thought it came down to red zone execution. Mm-hmm. Right? UCLA settled for too many field goals. Oregon, <laughs> no problem. Punched it right in every time. And I'm not even sure. I'd have to go back and check. But did UCLA even punt in this game? I, I do not know. I I know the offense, like the offense was not the issue, but I, I'll give credit to Oregon's defense for for stepping up in the red zone like they did. But yeah, I would not be surprised at all if these two teams play again. And man, with the way that the year started, the fact that Oregon now is the only Pac-12 team that doesn't have a conference loss after what we all were saying to them, about them after that Georgia game, I mean, credit to Dan Lanning. That was uh, they. They look like a really good football team right now. Why are you making that face? I was about to say I don't think either team punted, but there was one punt in the game. Oregon punted one time. Yeah, UCLA did not punt. They just UCLA kicked a bunch of field not. goals. And one thing, and it was early, and it was a it was a massive play in the game, like getting the extra possession with the surprise onside for Oregon, like that was. That was huge. I mean, it was massive. And for Lanning to call that when he did, I yeah, that was that was impressive. Yep. That's a that's a big win for Oregon. Hey man, they are they're marching. They look they look solid. You're right. I mean, the with the way things look like they may unfold out there, I they're they're big time in the driver's seat. Do they still play Utah, Oregon? I I don't know. I know 
I don't think UCLA does. They or I mean uh, UCLA already played them. I got it right here. They play Utah late. Yeah. I was about to say because they they went away from the divisions, but the schedules are still the same, so they should play them. They got they're at Cal, at Colorado, and then Washington at home, Utah at home, at Oregon State to end it. That's that's three tough games. Oregon State's pretty salty. That's a six and two football team. Washington six and two. So, yeah, they've got a they got a tough schedule here to to finish out. Yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about an interesting game in Fort Worth. Kansas State went to Fort Worth, jumped all over TCU, but ends up losing 38-28. I'll just say it. I feel like we got robbed of a really good game. That's how I felt, right? The first half. Now, <laughs> and I text you about it during the game. <laughs> the first half of this game put my brain in a pretzel. Uh, I mean, Adrian Martinez gets hurt on the first play of the game. He plays the rest of that first here series. We never see him again, right? In comes Will Howard, and I'm thinking, well, this game is over. And all Will Howard does is come in and absolutely light it up for Kansas State. All he does is come in and lead Four straight touchdown drives. Ted, guy was throwing darts. Now, Warner really helped him out on that touchdown catch. There's no doubt. But he was pushing it down the field. He was aggressive. He was running tough. Like, Deuce Vaughn was running wild. Kansas State was up 28-10 to 10 in the blink of an eye, and I was like, what the hell is going on? I, I feel bad about this. But we're watching the game at my parents' house, and Will Howard is in. I was like, this game is about to get ugly. And uh, Will Howard looked pretty good. Like I, I was like, okay, just a matter of time. Beginner's luck, whatever. And finally, my dad's like, looks like you're wrong about this Howard kid. He looked pretty good to me. <laughs> I I mean, he looked great. He looked great. Now, when you look at, you know, what made the difference in this game for TCU, clearly, I mean, we'll never know what it would have played out like. So what was the deal? What happened? I missed the injury. By the time I I was in watching it, he was already out. He ran it on the first play of the game, and he got up, and he just like, I, I don't know if it's a knee or what. I don't. There are some people theorizing that he was hurt coming into the game and that they just put him out there to see if he could go and he decided I can't go. I I talked to the I talked to Adrian Martinez in the middle of the week. He seemed really excited for the game. So I I don't know, but yeah, it was the first play of the game because you can see on the throw he has some throws on the rest of the drive. He's not putting like any pressure on his leg when he's throwing it out there and I was like, uh Oh, and then we, we never saw him in. This is, this is something that you really never think of, but there was no sideline reporter for this game. So no one ever found out like the, the announcers, it was Tillman and Brando, Brando, which, but it was, there was never a report of any kind, like no information about, what happened? It was really weird. Yeah, that was weird. I, because he's, 
you know, to me, I di- I never saw the injury, so I see him just standing there with a helmet on, looking like he's ready to go in the game at any moment. I was like, did he get benched? Like, like was it that bad? He doesn't look like he's that hurt to me. So that was wild. I mean, I think whenever they went to the third stringer, Rubley, and he goes uh, right out there and throws a, a terrible interception. The no look. <laughs> just throw it. Uh, he's always been open in practice. That's it. That's just. Let's just close your eyes and let it rip. Yeah, that that was uh, that was fascinating. But how about Will Howard getting up and getting back out there, man? Uh, tough, gritty effort by him. Yeah, he went down, came back. Um, uh, I, I'm not going to fully apologize to Will Howard. We've been very critical of that young man, but that was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. Now, a chance. TCU. Uh, the middle of the game, right? You hear a lot of people talk about the middle eight. Now, that was huge for them in this game, right? Those those couple possessions uh, before halftime, those couple possessions after halftime, right? I thought that they really started to find their groove offensively at the end uh, of the first half. Um, you know, they, they score, get the ball out of half, score again, and it, it felt like momentum was on their side. At that point, the the missed field goal for K-State hurt. I mean, it really hurt at that point in the game there in the third quarter. But, yeah, it was it, it was interesting. If Will Howard would have been able to hit Warner on that, he was open for that touchdown late, and they ended up missing that other field goal. They get no points on that drive. Uh, who knows what happens, but Max Duggan, man, guy battled. Another solid performance from him. Uh, Kendra Miller, I think he continues to be one of the most underrated players in college football. I mean, the guy's just a playmaker. uh, DeMarcado as a one-two are – I mean, it's really a one-two-three with with Miller, DeMarcado, and what you get from Max Duggan in the run game as well. I mean, it's, it's potent. It's potent, and especially whenever there's always the deep threat like, it doesn't matter what's going on. As a D coordinator, you're terrified of ever leaving one of your corners in one-on-one with Quentin Johnston. So that threat there is always just hanging over the top of your head. It, it makes them even more effective in the run game. Yeah, and Quentin Johnston had another huge play. Right, Brent's the corner just stumbling around. <laughs> I've, I've, he mossed his own guy. Was it Darius Davis that was down there? <laughs> yeah. He just goes right over the top of him, too. That was awesome. But uh, even Wiley, the tight end, had some big plays. He did for him. He did to, uh, had had a couple of really nice plays over the middle. He was he was effective. Their yeah. their skill position group, the wide receiver group, looks like a basketball team. Yeah i I don't know how good they are. I, I really don't like when you talk about college football playoff and that type of stuff. But they beat four ranked teams in a row, and Sonny Dykes hell of a start to his tenure there at TCU. And all I know is JT Daniels better watch out next week because all TCU does is hurt quarterbacks. No doubt. No doubt. I I don't know. It's hard to say how good TCU is, man. I I thought at times their defense looked looked pretty good. Like they've got moments out there where they look good. Dude, I, Will Will Howard came in the game and went up and down the field on him. I know. 
That's I where I went, okay. <laughs> Maybe it's just my, I'm not going to use the word disdain, my my skepticism when it comes to Will Howard's skill level. How about that? Right. For him to come in the game like that and just go up and down the field, that was that was a bit alarming for me when I it comes agree. to TCU's defense. I agree. I think with their personnel, they're in the wrong, they run the wrong scheme, but the scheme is what it is. And, um, cause they're two, they're two backers are, are, they're good. TC's they're, they're good. They, I like, I, I know we're still mad at Hodge for hitting Dylan Gabriel the way that he did, but he as I play. continue to watch him, he is everything you want an inside backer to be. That dude is straight up. If you had to say, Hey, what's one word you would use to describe Jamoy Hodge, I would go violent. Yeah. He is right. a violent football player. He's like, he's a, he's a missile. Like, I, I don't, a bunker buster. I don't know what you would call him, but the, the dude is, he plays hard. He's fast. He covers a ton of ground and he shows up with bad intentions. They both do, both the inside, inside guys do pretty good. But no, I'm with you. I, TCU, I, I, I feel like their offense is is going to be good enough right, to to continue to roll. You know, they they're not a perfect football team, but the record is what it is at this point. Yeah, at, at this point you're like, are they better in Michigan? Probably not, but I like are they better in Oregon? I'd probably pick Oregon to beat them if they were playing on a neutral field, but it's like, hey, they're undefeated in the deepest conference in the country. Yeah. I so a team like Michigan, I feel like they would do way better than a team like Oregon for whatever reason. Yeah. Like I know I, that I feel like I feel like Michigan is just and I know they're a little bit better at quarterback, but I feel like they're much more of a one-dimensional type of football team and I think that helps TCU out a little bit, but I could be wrong. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcony Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, 
then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I had to go with the Clemson Tigers. It's nice to have a backup quarterback, right? Correct. Nice to have a backup quarterback. They're in an absolute dogfight. DJU not playing well. They put in Klubnik. Um, I now I'm not saying that he was just spectacular, but he was able to climb them uh out of some uh some bad situations and get the W. Now some questionable time management at the end of that football game. Well, not only some questionable time management, but some questionable calls, man. I mean, Schrader, Garrett Schrader, Syracuse's quarterback, gets shoved six yards out of bounds, and they don't call the unnecessary roughness that they had just given Clemson. And that's where we all were like, uh, what's going on play. here? I didn't see that play. Uh, but, hey, that just goes right back to Clemson being the winner, right? You know, if, if you get the call, you get the call. But uh, I thought it was, you know, we've been wondering – DJU had been playing better. Uh, you know, it, it looked like he had kind of gotten over the hump after that atrocious start. And then uh, Klubnik, you know, able to come in in a tough situation. Luckily, they were at home. And uh, get him down the field and, and, and punching in a couple of times. DJ Uyunglele was a turnover machine in that game. I know. Uh, I mean, the the fumble may have been the worst. Because uh, that that's the one that led to the scoop and score, but a couple awful interceptions. And I'll give Dabo credit. I I think if he stays with Uyunglele in that game, they lose. So the he fact seems that club like now, a guy that when things are going bad, like it really snowballs on him. Yes, like he yes. goes into a deep dark hole. Absolutely, and. Now, to Klubnik's credit, like you mentioned, he didn't have to do much. Did some stuff with his legs. Will Shipley in that run game is really what carried nice. him. Yeah, he closed it out really good. Will Shipley did. I will give – I'll give DJ some credit, though. I don't know if you saw this. Man, that kid's got some maturity. The way that he answered some of those questions after the game, right, talking about how, you know, the most important thing is winning and that he was thankful that – Klubnik was able to go into the game and win them the game. And he was thankful that Shipley was able to rip off those runs. And he was thankful that Dabo pulled him so that his team could win in the game. It was, it was pretty impressive. I was like, damn, okay. You know, that's, that's a low moment for that young man. And he handled it. He handled it with a ton of class. Yeah. What do you think they do moving forward? I would go with Klubnik. I feel like, you know, have you seen the rest of their schedule? Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it. This ce- I think the ceiling of the offense is with Cade Klubnik. Like, it elevates the ceiling of the offense. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Does I, I don't know the leadership dynamic within that locker room, right? What, what, does, what does DJ mean to his teammates, all that stuff? You, you have to consider all of that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, tough. Um, at least, like you said, you've got time and the schedule to be able to to make the move now and get get a guy acclimated and everyone else on the team comfortable with him as a starter. So, 
I don't know. Be fascinating. But I'll say this. It's a good problem to have, you know, to be able to have a guy that can come off the bench in some moments like that and carry your football team whenever things aren't going well, you've made some mistakes, you're at home and things are looking pretty stark, right? And to be able to to go to a backup and come back and win a game like that, that that puts you in a, a rare – I mean, there's there's not a lot of teams that have that capabil- uh, capability. We know we're not one. So. I, I will say this season, I believe, has given Oklahoma football fans a deep, deep appreciation for having a reliable backup quarterback. Deep appreciation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Now, you touched on this briefly whenever we were doing the National College Football Roundup, but I think all of a sudden, it's the Pac-12. I mean, you go from having, uh, what, three, maybe four teams that look like they have a shot a couple of weeks ago to now, are you down to one and are you down to none? Like The team, it's going to be really difficult and I totally agree with you the way Oregon is playing. But I'm easy to convince. Like, a lot of people are not easy to convince whenever one of the teams that we think most likely is already going to be in the college football playoff in, in Georgia absolutely destroyed one of the other teams. That's hard to get pushed through people's people's mind. I I, I totally agree that well, the the time between those two games, like between that game and being selected to the college football playoff is an eternity in football terms. But some people never look past that. And USC or UCLA, one of those teams is going to take uh, a loss. My guess is it's probably going to be USC. Now, does UCLA in a rematch against Oregon have a chance to get in? I don't know. It just it went from looking really promising for the Pac-12 to all of a sudden like, oh boy, what's going to happen here? I I hear you on the Oregon point, right? I think it's going to be even as good as they look. It's going to be really really difficult for people to forget what it looked like when they played Georgia. I think UCLA still has a chance, right? But they got to beat USC, and then they got to revenge the loss in the Pac-12 championship game against they Oregon. They need like Oregon that. to take care of business, which Correct. we talked about their their schedule. It's tough to end with Washington, Utah, and Oregon State, but that's who you have to play. Yeah, so UCLA, I, I think, is probably still the best, and I know it's weird because they just got pounded by Oregon, I still think UCLA may be their best chance at getting to the college football playoff, but they need Oregon to take care of business. Clearly, UCLA has to take care of business as well. But also, USC still has a chance, right? Because you, we have to acknowledge there is – I mean, they their loss. I mean, you lose on the last uh, – essentially, the last play of the game. Utah goes for two. That's a tough road loss against – a team and a program that's got a lot of respect yep. around the country, right? 
So if USC wins out and they win the Pac-12 championship game, remember, they don't have to play Oregon. So if they get Oregon after they've run the table and USC and Oregon square off in the Pac-12 championship game, I I would think that would be a game for USC to punch a ticket to the college football playoff. And we got to acknowledge, I mean, they got one of the most recognizable coaches in college football, one of the most recognizable players. You know, Caleb Williams probably got a good chance to be a Heisman Trophy finalist this year. Like, that stuff matters. So, well, yeah. here's the thing. If if USC runs the table and wins the Pac-12, that means they beat UCLA, or most likely that means they beat UCLA, and then most likely they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, Caleb Williams is winning the Heisman Trophy. I mean, maybe it's maybe C.J. Stroud's going to be too difficult to to drive around with just some absurd I, stats that he's putting up. But I, I mean, I think don't forget Hendon Hooker. Like, depending on what happens with Tennessee, good point. If they beat Georgia, I mean, come on now, he's going to be in the driver's seat. So we'll. But the thing is, the voters. Yeah, there's such a huge amount of votes on the West Coast, and like everyone else to some degree is going to be still in votes from one another. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but um, I don't know. Maybe there's more of a chance than I'm, than I'm laying it out, but I felt like they looked fantastic two weeks ago, but now all of a sudden no undefeated teams and it just, the, the things have, have really changed for them. Yeah, I hear you. All right, for my winner of the weekend, uh, I thought about going with old Max Verstappen. Mm. Won the United States Grand Prix in Austin. The fact that this race is on a Sunday during football season in America, just it blows my mind. But looked like Lewis Hamilton may be able to defend there towards the end. Ted Verstappen too much in a shocking development he won again. Uh, just amazing. And, hey, Kudos to Austin for pulling off what looked like a fantastic weekend of racing. It was yeah. cool. Did you see Mario Andretti, 80-plus years old, getting behind the, the wheel? Yeah, I just – I feel like having it on a Sunday during football season is just un-American. I just – It's true. It needs to be in a different part of the calendar. It's kind of an un-American sport, though, really. We're just well, kind of borrowing it for a couple of weekends. <laughs> Netflix <laughs> – it's a hell of a thing, man. It's true. Look at us. Uh, I also thought about going with LSU Ooh. as my winner of the weekend. I'm Ooh, telling man. you, man, they've been forgotten. People are, for whatever reason, forgetting about LSU. Turns out Brian Kelly can coach a little bit. Not a great dancer, but the dude can coach. And, hey, they fell down early. I mean, Ole Miss came out and hit him right in the face. But Jaden Daniels, man, he had himself a day. Five total touchdowns, and all of a sudden, and I know it sounds crazy, but LSU kind of right in the middle of it there in the SEC West. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. in the middle Six of it. Six and two now, and totally shut them down in the second half. Shut them oh out. Oh, my gosh. 28-0. It was, it was a really impressive, and I will say, and, and it wasn't the nighttime kickoff right there at Death Valley in Baton Rouge. That place was going insane in the second half of that game. Looks like a fun time. Yep. Yep. But my winner of the weekend, the Carolina Panthers, the NFL, man. Oh, really? (laughs) 
the NFL, it, I mean, it, it always delivers one of these. You think about what the Panthers organization's gone through here in the last couple of weeks, right? You fire Matt rule. Uh, Baker Mayfield goes down. Uh, you trade away Christian McCaffrey, which basically is the signal. Like we have begun to position ourselves to get CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Like that was the unofficial signal. Yeah, right? they called they called the draw on like third and eight, right? Backed up. Like yeah, we, <laughs> we've we've punted on the season. Yeah, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady come to town, and the Panthers smack them. Maybe because it's the NFL. Right. These guys are getting paid. They got a lot of pride. And as we all expected, PJ Walker outplayed Tom Brady. Yeah, of course we saw that coming. But I mean, the Carolina offense, they got after the Bucks defense. They ran it all over them with Foreman and Hubbard. And then Carolina's defense just shut Tampa Bay down, shut them out for the first Stone three them. quarters. Yep. And the Bucks run game, like Leonard Fournette, it was like he didn't exist in this football game. Meanwhile, Carolina was averaging like 6.4 yards a carry on the ground. It was, this is what makes the NFL king. Man, Sundays like this where you just go, wait, they did what now? That was this game this weekend. Credit to the Carolina Panthers. They, I mean, they dominated that football game. Bucks are now three and four, right? It's not looking good. Tons of tons of baggage around the team right now because of the quarterback situation. But yeah, that's wild. Um, you know, I I think it was I think it was a really good move for Carolina with that trade. Just like you you had he had become like way too much for that team. If that makes sense, like I think it's I think it's better for both parties. Yeah, if, you know, like the pressure was 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 so big there for McCaffrey and the injury situation and the expectations were so high. And then, like, if you don't live up to that, it's just I mean, you're forced to give him the football. I think it's just a, a better situation for all parties. No, I, I hear you. But you mentioned the baggage around that team. At, at what point? If you're a teammate of Tom Brady's, and he's Tom Brady, man. I mean, he's Tom Brady. But at what point do you say, hey, man, you can't miss Wednesday anymore? Get your shit together. Yeah. Like, hey, oh, we we want we want your life. Like, we understand, man, life's tough. You're going through something. But we want to get win games. We need you here. We know lot, you're Tom Brady, but yeah. we need you here, man. There's a lot of other guys here with livelihoods on the line. Uh, and, and for you... Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe a a birthday party or whatever it is that you need to get to and all that stuff and miss mm. walkthroughs. And, uh, yeah, okay. There's guys that are, are trying to figure out how to stay on the football team, trying to figure out how to, to maybe get another contract or to, you know, That's elevate it. from the scout team. It's. I, I will say this, and you and I, we, we were in a bunch of different locker rooms in our NFL careers. You start with met. You start messing with other guys' money. Doesn't matter if you're Tom Brady. That's right. Yeah, they're gonna say something. <laughs> I mean, Contrary to popular belief, uh, everyone that plays in the NFL is not a multi multi millionaire like Tom Brady. Matter of fact, most of them are not. 
overwhelming percentage of the guys make the league minimum and are struggling, fighting their ass off to stay on a roster year by year. So, yeah, that that could be a frustrating point. When someone is treated differently than everyone else, that will fracture a team quicker than anything. Yes, correct. So something to keep an eye on. That conversation had started a little bit this week. It's about to start really heating up. But, okay, for my loser of the weekend, thought about going with the New York Yankees. Now, we're recording this before game four, but they got shut out. They got smacked in New York game three, down 3-0. You can't win baseball games if you can't put the ball in play. They're really good at striking out. I, I haven't watched much baseball this year, but my impression of the Yankees is, man, they strike out a lot. They're really good at it. <laughs> I, I before the last game, I think I saw that they were hitting like 137 in the postseason, Ooh. something like that. I don't know what it is now. Now I I don't know if the Astros are about to complete the sweep tonight or not, but I feel very confident saying the Astros are going to get it done at some point. It'll be their fourth World Series in six years. And I mean, you can't blame the cheating stuff anymore, right? Like <laughs> they're doing I, something right, man. There's no doubt they're doing something right. Uh, they're good all the way around, man. Good defensively. Got a great staff. It's yeah. Hey, man. I'm not. I don't know much about baseball, but I know they've got a bunch of haters out there, and it's justified. I get it, but someone, someone's got to beat them. I hear you. There's a lot of money on the other side that is not getting the job done. And if you got to cheat better, you got to cheat better, right? Someone like if if, if you're going to tell me that they're cheating, well, someone's got to get better at it or figure out what they're doing. All right. Fourth World Series in six years. Look pretty salty to me, pretty to these untrained good. eyes. <laughs> but my loser of the weekend, the Texas A&M Aggies. It continues to get worse. For Jimbo Fisher, uh, they dropped a three and four on the season after a loss to our man, Shade Beamer. Let's go, Beamer. Mm, love it. South Carolina, they – now, the start of this game, <laughs> you there's usually – you have some goals when you go on the road, right? Get off to a fast start, take care of the football. Texas A&M did the exact opposite of that. They kick off. South Carolina houses the opening kickoff return, right? Texas A&M's first offensive possession, throw an interception, that leads to a field goal. Then they do, they were having issues with the snap all night, but uh, Haynes King's walking up to the line to change the play. He starts talking, the center thinks, hey, that means snap the ball. It hit Haynes King. It somehow goes to a South Carolina defensive lineman. Inadvertently, does a little uh, chip shot with his foot, like right over the line of scrimmage to I, the defensive I've line. <laughs> never seen anything like it in my life. And that leads to a touchdown. And they were down 17 to nothing, just like that. And, and I mentioned not- a small margin for error earlier uh, with our football team. You want to talk about a team that's got a small margin for error, especially on the offensive side. That's Texas A&M. Yeah, and I, I I will give them some credit, right? They they fought back, they battled back. Devon A. Chain 
continues to be one of my favorite players in college football. But, man, South Carolina, they got got out to the big lead. They were able to hold on there in the second half. I really like South Carolina's running back, Marshawn Lloyd. I, I like how that guy plays. But things did get a little interesting when A&M recovered that onside kick. But another loss for A&M, another win for South Carolina. South Carolina is now 5-2. Back in the top twenty-five, I'd left them for dead after the Arkansas and Georgia games, and they've quietly clawed their way back. Big win over Kentucky, impressive, and they've got some games down the stretch that they're that are totally winnable. Yeah, they've won four in a row. Uh, I won't lie, really like seeing Shane Beamer succeed. So it's fun, but I have one controversial take Mm -hmm. from this game. I think I'm out on the LED light thing. I think I'm I think I'm over it because and let me explain. I want to see like when I'm sitting on my couch, it's one thing at the OU game, right? Because I'm not watching it on TV. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're there. I I'm there, right? So you like feel it and all that. When I'm at home and I'm watching the game, I want to see the guys celebrating. I don't want it to be dark. I want to see the crowd celebrating. I don't want it to be dark. And there's these massive moments, like these moments of celebration. The guys are going crazy. The fans are going crazy. And I can't see them because they're blinking the damn LED light, Ted. I I th- I know I'm getting old. There's no doubt about it. But I think, I think I'm over the LED light thing when I'm watching the game on television. There's got to be a way to have the best of both worlds. You probably should leave the LEDs to the, like, whatever the hype-up moments are, like on timeouts and stuff like that, whenever TV is not necessarily a factor. And, like, whenever you've got something big that happened and you need to, like, witness the scene and what it looks like, May have to just stow the LED light show at the moment. That that's that's what I'm saying. Like all these big plays, they happen. South Carolina's players are going crazy. The crowd's going crazy. They pay it to them, but I can't see them. It's dark. Give them, give them. It doesn't take long. You need like ten to twenty seconds. Like the celebration, you get the instant celebration in the end zone between the players. You get a couple of crowd shots, right, and then. You can go LEDs if you want to, like for the hype up before the ensuing kickoff or whatever you need to do. I I feel old, but I I think I'm right on this one. Yeah, I think I'm right. It, it, at least when you're watching it on television, it annoyed me. I was like, I want to see these guys' joy. Give me the emotion, right? Exactly. Thank you. On that note, I've got a Thunder game to get to. That's why we recorded early. Let's go. Season start home opener tonight, Ted. Let's go triple double for Giddy. I hope so. I'm a all I know is I'm going to tell him how good his hair looks. I'm going to really boost him up, man. Here <laughs> Make we go. Feel good. Episode two sixty in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. Just a reminder: you can hear Teddy from three to six on ninety four seven The Ref. You can hear me from two to five on Sirius XM Big Twelve Radio Channel three seventy five. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more.